Welcome again to another episode of the Safety Third Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm here with my co-host, Dennis Rasmussen. We were just talking about how, as far as Danes go, Dennis has a very easily pronounceable name. Um, have, have you heard that often in your life, Dennis? Yep. And I believe also the the name Dennis the Menace came out just a few seconds yes. ago. Yeah. Dennis the Menace, but I think we all dated ourselves because I don't know if even my kids who know who Dennis the Menace is. So oh. maybe maybe we've shown our, shown our age a little bit here. Uh, but today we're going to talk uh, with a special guest about uh, a topic that I think is interesting to many people, which is uh, startups and risk and how are they handled. And, and there's many different types of risks out in the startup world. And probably the first one that they think about is the venture risk or the business risk associated with the the enterprise itself. But then, of course, there's many different types of risk to include safety risks and environmental risk and other things like that. So today we have a special guest, which is uh, Soren Land, who's joining us to give his perspective uh, from his experience. Uh, I've heard of, before we were talking in the episode, Dennis was talking about uh, many experiences, most of them at parties and other things like that, where we could talk about risks and those sort of things. But maybe that'll be for later on in the conversation. Uh, but I want to say welcome, Soren. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Eric. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So um, I guess you and uh, Dennis are joining us today from Odense, right, in, in Denmark. And I'm I'm here in north of Fort Worth in Texas. Um and uh, I think it's always nice to kind of get perspectives about different things. I have friends who work in the startup community here in the U.S., and I do a little bit, but I don't really count myself as, as one of those folks. Um, I don't think I qualify necessarily. Um, but, you know, there's this, this idea of startup culture in the U.S. that it's very much what we call risk on. Do you have this term in, in Denmark as well or, or no? I think I think we do not have a specific uh, terminology for that, Eric. But there's definitely a lot of talk about risk going on among startups, and when you when you prepare for the journey as a startup, um, so it is in in focus. Um, you you look at at risk in in relation to to your idea, to the validation of the idea. Will it stick? Will it hold? Is there really a, a target group for for your idea out there? You look at the risk of running uh, out of runway, so that is uh, investor or, or venture related. Um, and finally, also the, the important risk of uh, not addressing the market in the end. Um, even though you thought you were doing brilliant and well, uh, there might be challenges there. And of course, uh, also related to this, that um, there's also there's always a risk that you oversee something in terms of legal aspects, um, and that also covers risk. Um, that's also included here. So so the entire compliance part of uh, of your product and your journey into new markets, that is also something that will relate to the to the risks risk thoughts of uh, of startups during their entire journey. Sure. It's a it's a multifaceted uh, risk portfolio that a startup has to look at, and usually with uh, fewer resources than, say, a, a larger company. By definition, they're a startup, right? Yeah. So it's a it's a hard thing to do. So, well, I, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation today. I'd like to start off talking a little bit 
uh, about who you are and uh, and what gave you your perspective that you have today. So uh, I guess I usually start off just asking, where were you born? What, where did you grow up? And how did you get from there to where you are now? I'll try and, I'll try and do it brief, Eric, because that's quite a long story. But uh, the, the basic facts are that I am born right here in Odense, uh, in the center of Denmark and mostly famous to, to people because it was where the famous fairy tale uh, writer Hans Christian Andersen was born, just around a kilometer from where we're located today. Um, and I tried to get away from Odense several times. Um, I had different uh, positions in different companies during my career, and I've basically been very lucky and privileged to be able to be with different companies, both uh, public and private um, companies. So, so I came out of base out of university and started doing some teaching. I ended up in uh, commercial advertising as project manager, later on as CEO. Came from there to to Lego, uh, Lego's in-house agency, um, and went from there on into also production companies producing um, web TV, um, corporate movies, and commercials. Uh, so I've been on both sides of the fence, you could say, um, and. After a, a longer period there, I went into fashion business as a marketing manager, later marketing director, um, ended up uh, at the end of my career in the second largest Danish company called uh, DK Company. Um, and from there, I came back to the university. This is, and I am employed at, at the university now, and I'll get back to that, but this is my third round at uh, the University of Southern Denmark. Um, but. I returned to university because I, I basically always liked working with um, with both students, researchers, and and and, and fellow employees at, at universities. It's a it's a really interesting um, work environment. Um, but I've always been there with some kind of commercial mindset. So the last time I was there, I was working with uh, masters educations like the MBA, um, selling these educations to public and private sector because I I knew what. What basically does the trick there because I came out of this position myself um, and from there I went um, back into private enterprising and, and I came to, to to the world's largest producer of outdoor playgrounds and fitness equipment a company called Compan who also has um, production facilities in Texas where you're located I think still the US must be their largest market from there um, I, I had I got this crush on on technology and the ecosystem in Odense. And, and now we are beginning to touch upon something that is also very, very relevant for today's talk. Because from my perspective, the city of Odense 20 years ago basically was a dump. I think it was characterized by some kind of overall philosophy saying that um, all good things comes to Odense in the end. But this changed, and it, it, it changed with the development of of, um, of technology and the focus on, on technology, especially also robotics here in, in Odense, and it, it kind of spread out to the entire community. So now Odense is a really interesting place because there's a lot going on around the ecosystem of uh, robotics and drones, um, and it also affected the, well, basically also the city of Odense, so from a municipality perspective, it became much more innovative. The, the city center developed into something which is today very interesting and also quite impressive, I would say. 
And, um, and Odense has really gained as a stronghold. And we are amongst the, some of the strongest when you look at the, the robotics cluster for collaborative robotics uh, in Odense. It's, it's really a worldwide trademark. And, and, um, and this was interesting. So I went into working with drones in, in the national cluster called uh, UAS Denmark. And from there came into Odense Robotics and, um, and went into one of the companies in the cluster, a drone company uh, called Lawrence Technology. And um, from there into back into the university. And that was because the entire working without, within the ecosystem with new technology and stuff and an early stage company also, because this was drone technology was still and is still new technology. It just paved the way for going back into the university and working with um, where I am right now with what is called the unit for uh, incubation and enterprising. Incubation, everything that relates to student startups. So students who, alongside their university education, um, decides to, to try and, and, and build their own sustainable business. Um, so, so this is one part of the, the unit that I'm heading up, uh, incubation with uh, so approximately 10 business developers. And on the other hand, there's an, an equal size unit called Enterprising. And um, those guys and girls, they work on bringing the outside world into the education, also helping researchers when they are in need of some kind of company that could uh, be beneficial for, for their projects uh, within their research field. So this is incubation and enterprising in SDU. And it might also be in, in its place just to say that uh, Denmark uh, comprises of uh, eight universities and um, SDU, brief for University of Southern Denmark, is one of them. Uh, SDU is a multi-faculty um, university, so we have all in all five faculties within the university. Um, we are also a regional university, meaning that we, we are present in six Danish cities. And we have campuses in five of them, so specific campuses in five cities uh, across the region of southern Denmark. Uh, and where we are today in Odense, this is where the main campus site is. Um, and that is also where I spend most of my time. Now, incubation and enterprising is just a unit within another larger unit of University of Southern Denmark, what is called SDU Rio. And that is short for Research and Innovation Organization. So we're kind of a forepost of uh, SDU and also a forepost with, uh, with different units where incubation enterprising is just one of them. We have legal, who takes care of most of the legal affairs for the university. We have commercialization, who do what you could call the, the, the grown-up spin-outs. So these are spin-outs coming out of research um, and it is a different ball game because it's often much more from early stage IP related than uh, student startups. Um, but this is another unit in, uh, in, in Rio. We also have uh, careers and employability who are into career uh, guiding for, for students where, where they basically put a light on your ability to communicate your own value into the surrounding society. Um, and these are just some of them, um, but, but this is a, a unit within University of Southern Denmark, and this is where incubation and enterprising is located in an organizational wise. Sure. Well, um, that's very interesting. Lots of things that I'd want to ask about. The, the first thing I'd like to say is uh, it strikes me as not, no, uh, not a normal thing here in the States, at least, 
um, for someone to move back and forth between academia and and the commercials, the private sector, um, as you have described. And I think part of that is just because of the way the American system works. And it's one of the things that I admire. And I think it's one of the strengths um, of what has happened over the last 20 years in Odensee is it seems like I've, I've met several people who have uh, had this really close collaboration between industry and the technological institutes or the university or these clusters and those sort of things. There seems to be a lot of that fostering in quite honestly a way that I don't see in the States. I, uh, I work, I lecture part-time at a university here and one of my dreams, uh, is to, is to have a student startup that forms and takes off and hopefully would be successful. But, you know, and one of the problems that I have is conceptualizing that with people, both students and faculty, that it could happen. I, I talk to the, the faculty and they're like, ah, it's not really something that's going to happen. And I talk with students and they think, ah, starting a company uh, as a student, you know, out of the university, ah, I think I need to go get it. You know, it just doesn't seem to be something that is, is uh, very common, at least in the circles that I run in. There's probably other universities where it's much more common. Of course, if you think about, you know, the, the bigger name uh, Ivy League universities, it's probably different. Um, but I think it's one of the things that seems to be much more natural from my understanding of how things are working in Odense. And I don't know, is that, am I, am I misperceiving things? Or? Mm, no, it's hard for me to evaluate whether it's more natural from what you normally see in the States. But um, so one thing is that I still think it's a bit rare that, that people move from one side, you know, from academia into so maybe private enterprising and back and forth, but it but it happens, and um, and I think there's a there's a there's a high value to doing so if you manage to do so because um, that was also why I was in and out of the, the university three times because every time I left I gained new experiences that I was able to to put into real life efforts uh, in the next position and, and and that was also what happened this time. Um, so I think that is valuable, and I think it is something that we hopefully will see more of. Then regarding the startups, um, it, to be honest, it's a huge challenge for, for students to do the startup alongside their studies. And, you know, um, every day when I meet these students, because where I'm located at SDU Rio, we, we have this house, you know, with the offices, but this is also where our startups, our student startups have their offices. and. You know, we provide them maker space where they can do prototyping and, and all kinds of things, you know, laser cutting, whatever. And we have thinker space where they can do their creative meetings uh, for product development. There's even a stage where they can rehearse their pitch. Um, and they have their offices there. And, and when I get in the office uh, early in the morning, they are often the ones I, I meet as, as, as the first people uh, when I enter the first floor. And, and, and to be honest, Eric, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing the energy they put into it because, you know, it, it easily ends up in, in full-time doing studies, full-time doing the startup. Um, and I admire these young people uh, tremendously. And uh, it's it's so giving to to have the, the privilege to be alongside them and, and, and follow the development they do. I think what we experience at, uh, at the University of Southern Denmark is also... 
uh, something they they see at the, at the other universities in Denmark. They have there are different ways of doing it, but but we have we have established this incubator called STU Startup Station, um, and looking at Rio where we are and where Startup Station is, the important thing is that this unit is basically funded by the five faculties. And maybe here lies part of the secret also to the success, because this also means that we are we are serving the faculty. So, so as long as they see that this is value creation, we are here. If we do not provide any value, we'll, we'll be gone. So, so they know what we do and they, they have an interest in what we do. And they see the value, the value of, in this case, working with student startups. And, and we have also we'll always felt that this is highly valuable for the students because we can get back to that. But it develops what you could call the entrepreneurial mindset of the students, which can be used in many different uh, to do many different things uh, out there in, in in the real world outside university. But but um, but I think it is it is important that it is something that comes out of the faculties. Now, the recent um, published strategy of SDU came out uh, this last summer, um, and it's, it, lo it looks towards 2030 for SDU as a total institution. And, and what was so, Im so important there was that it, it describes the journey uh, where SDU would like to maintain its position as what is called an innovation university. And as part of this, to maintain and further develop having an attractive student entrepreneurship environment, which is SDU Startup Station. Um, so we have the attention of the faculties due to the way we are financed and funded. Um, and we are anchored in the central strategy of the university. Now here lies a huge part of the foundation for what we do every day and why we're able to succeed with it. Now, the startups and the way we, we work with them, we work with them in, the, in a three-step incubator um, where they come in in an intro phase, they go on to what we call the explore phase, and then they end up, some of them, in an accelerate phase. So we have this three-step incubation um, environment, and this is this is the process of, that they go through. Um, and we know that that we are only having them for a limited time. So, so when we say accelerate as the last part of our incubator, it is basically what you would call a slingshot. Because what we need to know is from where to where do we have the pathway to, to guide them. You need to know where you start. You also need to be very aware of where are your limitations and where does it end? Because we normally only keep them six months after the last person in the startup is graduated. So we need to know the surrounding world's um, ability to absorb them after we let them go. So that is why our business developers are highly aware of what are the accelerators out in the ecosystem of the entire country and also outside Denmark. And which kind of technical aspects do they cover? So we know exactly if we have a strong startup within a given field of technology, where we can point them after they're done in SDU Startup Station. Well, it, it sounds like a, a good, uh, I guess, garden, I guess it would be, that yeah, you're making yes. for growing startups over there. Um, let me, let me uh, I, I'd like to explore a little bit a couple of things. So um, 
you know, if you if a student is going to let's say they're in their second year of university and they does, they come up with an idea, they say first I I, I want to do something entrepreneurial, uh, I want to I want to do a startup, I want to uh, I've got a new technological solution that I'm interested in, or perhaps a service or something like that, uh, and then they go to do that. Um, if they're anything like me when they were twenty years old, um, they've got a lot of energy. They've got a lot of ideas, uh, but their view on the world, the window they're looking through is a little, a little restricted, right? They don't, they, don't, they don't see the rest of things, right? So in that case, all you need to do is surround, all you need to do, like it's easy. If it, it, they, need, they need the benefit of people with different perspectives, different skills, different, that can advise them and guide them in those sort of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I see at the university, I'm talking about my own context now, what I see is you get students with an idea, and usually at that point, they're students who have a solution looking for a problem, right? They've, 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 got, they've got some kind of thing that they've worked on, and they're, they're wanting to they look how cool this thing is, right? Uh, and sometimes that happens, right? Um, but, uh, you know, a successful business has to start with a problem and then develop a solution, right? You know, you, it, it's got to go usually the other way around. Mm-hmm. So the difficulty is getting them that advice. The other thing in, in my context with the university, uh, there, there's quite a lot of bureaucracy on our side uh, if a student is going to do a startup and involve the university. Uh, and probably the biggest thing that would be from an investment stand, investor standpoint is the university that I work with pretty much, if, if they're involved with anything that you do in an official way, then they get 50% of whatever's made, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as an investor looks at that, they think, oh, wow, that's a, that's, that, that's, that's a big, big portion. I understand why. There's lots of, uh, lots, lots of resources they provide. Uh, the university's de-risking some development things on the startup side. Um, but it, it does make it that kind of a hindrance. So I don't see a lot of startups coming out of the universities that I'm that I'm at personally. Maybe they happen, um, but I don't. But I don't see them. But what I do see is people going on to develop things afterwards or in other ways. So I guess what I wanted to ask you about Soren was, um, how do you? How does you? How does Rio or how does the 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 service the innovation center that you're starting up? How do they approach students who are trying to go through that process? And what's the how do they get started? How do they get connected with people? Do you help them with accountants and funding and those sort of things, or, or what's the what's the process? Um, the many aspects of, uh, of what you just mentioned, Eric. But um, I would say now the process that they go through is this kind of three-step um, incubation uh, time in SDU startup station. Um, first of all. We work intensively with our pipeline at the university because even though we are there, um, it's still a hard time. We still have a hard time trying to make sure that all the students at the faculties, they know that we are here with whatever we offer. Um, and that is something we work with uh, basically every day to keep ourselves on our toes to make sure that, uh, that the students, they know about SDU Startup Station and what we can offer them. Now. Um, students can enter and they can approach us with an idea where they have identified some kind of problem and 
they might have a solution or thoughts on a solution. We also have students coming in who are just thrilled or amazed by the thought of doing something entrepreneurial because you know, let's face it, some might have seen something on TV regarding this and, and you know, you have Dragon's Den and whatever it's called, all these TV programs. Um, we, we let them in on, on the intro part of our program where we run them through three to four workshops. And this is the first step where I think we try to make them aware of what are the tools to, to, to sharpen your thoughts and your idea. And, and that is basically also to try and work with minimizing your risk of just spending your time without any results. So we, we, we run them through a lean startup introduction. And this is where you, of course, work with the early stages of problem, idea, validation. Um, we, we, we do pitch training with them because we know that from the beginning, if you're not able to pitch your idea and you might as well get used to it in the early stage, you'll have difficulties later on in your startup career. We also work with uh, some of them with, uh, with the workshop within the area of resilience because we know that being a student, you know, with, with all the workload on your education and what was your study programs, if you want to do startups uh, alongside that, you'll face some really, really tough times uh, during this, uh, this journey. And, and we try to prepare them saying this, this, this will be tough at certain times, um, but, but it is possible to, to get through and, and there are many ways to get through. And so, so I think, uh, so these, these students, they, uh, they get from the beginning, a close contact with a business developer. So when we have early stage startups in the incubator, they all, are allocated their own um, business developer. Uh, and I think this is very, very important. And this is definitely, as I see it, part of the success that we're we are showing in the, at SDU Startup Station right now. This is to some extent due to the fact that we have a very, very, very close connection between uh, the business developer and the startup. Just, just, just to let you in on some of the, the thoughts we had on a more strategic level, we were, thought, we were talking AI as well, because AI seems to be the answer to everything right now. And, and that was also why we discussed where do we apply AI within the incubator with, with most effect. So you can say in the early stage, isn't it just about some very, very basic tools? So we could put in some avatar, maybe do something through one of the programs and just say, listen, watch these four or five uh, videos with the avatar, then you know everything about Lean Startup, uh, whatever. And uh, then you can work with your idea, then we can allocate the, the business developer at a later stage where you're really, now you're getting somewhere, now you maybe need funding or whatever. But I think one of the business developers had a really, really strong point in saying that, well, maybe it's totally the opposite that would be the right way to go ahead because in the early phase, this is where the startups probably are the most at the most fragile point of the journey. So this might be where you really need the personal interaction and dialogue with the business developer. And when you're settled and you're, you have proof of concept and stuff, then you might be better off and stronger to go on, on your own. But this is just to say that, that we put a lot of efforts into this contact between the startup and the business developer. Um, and I think this, this works for us. And honestly, Eric, we have many different kinds of startups. So we, of course, we have the guys who, who find out they can buy 300 t-shirts somewhere in Asia, 
for for one dollar and uh, and sell them for ten dollars and uh, and that's a sustainable business so that is just one example we also have a startup like um like the startup Hume made um who in 2022 won the national championship for university startups in the in one of the categories there in the social category they also became the audience favorite and they took the overall title across all categories in denmark as the best uh, university early stage startup and went on to the world championship in china and last year conquered the social category there as a winner in social category for early stage startups and came back here in 23 and won the same category just in the field of growth startups so now they they produced or they produced in within a very brief time i think five or six months the first prototype of a translation unit uh, working with ai that translate our written or spoken language into sign language for deaf people because this seems to be the greatest obstacle in terms of employability for for deaf people that there's a language barrier and some said uh, i remember that the discussion well so this startup will have a limited lifetime because you can just through surgery place something on on people's head and then they're able to to hear what they don't hear normally but but that that won't do it because um the people that this um, this product the protest they don't see themselves as someone who needs a surgery operation they have a language it's just a language that we don't all of us understand so if we can help them this way this is very effective and so something that also addresses them um, so this also just explains the span in the in the in what we see from startups and um and i think we are, we are gifted working with all of them and i remember we went to to budapest for a conference uh, um some months ago and what was interesting was that we tried to introduce a new a new terminology called peacocking and and it, it it caught the attention of uh, of a lot of people within the companies and universities all over the world and and what it's basically about is that now i mentioned you know the the, the national champion and the, the world champion within one category student startups early stage growth um this is the front side of the peacock you know the bird it's beautiful you know, and, and we really like to flash them and this is also what we do because we are so we're so extremely proud of what they what they have established and, and and what they have gone through and also succeeded with of course we are there's a backside to that as well and i have this you know this picture of the the peacock from from the backside it's it's not as beautiful as the front side but you can see the strong foundation of the feathers and everything it carries and that is the part where we focus on all the the students who do not succeed in trying to establish this this sustainable startup and and of course there are many of them and we try to incorporate into SDU Startup Station a way to work with them so that if they leave, after maybe having visited their startup once, twice or three times, and, and they end up saying, we won't make it. We try through a special program that was developed by our sister unit, we try to run them through basically some, some reflective questions uh, within different categories that will make them aware of what they gained through their time in startup station and what we hope to do and what we have already proven happens is that we, we will produce some sustainable startups some of them with 
traction, everything, but we'll also produce highly valuable intrapreneurs, not entrepreneurs like the start, but intrapreneurs. And these will be students who will graduate and, and grow, go out into companies and become, hopefully, important business developers within an already existing company. And we brought in one of them on a recent show. Uh, it is also a, a former colleague um, who also did a startup. Well, it, it's, it seemed very promising, but they, did, they didn't succeed. And, um, and he's right now with, uh, with Maersk uh, doing some of the, the work on their planning on, on all kind of transportation be below the full container and making sure that there's an online universe in care of everything related to the ordering. And, and as he referred during this event, some of the, the, the thoughts that they revealed during the job interview was that they saw something very, very valuable in what he had done uh, during his startup time in SDU Startup Station because they, you will basically become the CEO of this product line or this product development project with your background. And we can found, find people with the same education, but we cannot find this combination. We don't see that very often. And, and this is just something that makes us proud. If we can make sure that they will end up as entrepreneurs uh, through some reflection, we have also won, even though they might see it as something where they lose. It's, it's a win-win, basically. You win when you succeed with the sustainable startup. You win if you lose, because you'll end up a winner in the end anyway. Sure. Well, I think that's a, a very well-rounded approach there. A couple of things I would say is uh, you mentioned before how one of the previous times you were at the university, I think you said you were working with the MBA programs and, yes. and that sort of thing, right? I think like if I, if I compare and contrast those two from my perspective, right? If you have someone who does an MBA, let's say they start off, they go to school, they finish their undergraduate degree, and then they stay for a master's in business administration, they, they finish the MBA. They've had some courses in accounting and marketing and finance and operations management. And, you know, the, these various, maybe some specialty courses and other things like that. And they come out and they've got a conceptual framework and they've done some homework assignments and some projects and maybe an internship with some companies or something like that that's given them some experience. And that's very valuable, very, very valuable. You can bring someone into your company who understands how businesses work. On the flip side, if we look at the, someone who's been through Startup Station, they've gotten those same experiences, but now with skin in the game because it's their own yeah. risk that they're taking. And, they, and they, they don't really know how a business works, but they know how it feels, right? You know? And so I can absolutely agree with you um, that a student who started up a company and it failed, I, of course, you'd want it to succeed. But I see that as an asset, not as a, not as a, not as a detractor. That's very interesting to me as a hiring manager. Say, wow, okay, so you've actually tried to go out. You know how hard it is to actually go out and make a viable, sustainable business. Uh, and you're going to bring that with you into our company and be that entrepreneur that you just that you just talked about. So I think that's uh, uh, that's a great perspective, and I hope students can can see it when they come out through your your exit interviews or or whatever it is that you have set up at Startup Station to really see that that is a rare experience that they're getting there. I don't you don't see it many places. No, and you need to take into consideration here that. 
that we have the profiles that you describe here, but we of course also have profiles coming out of uh, humanities or the arts having a degree within philosophy, or you can have something coming in from, from science, being a chemist. Um, we could have something from some, some youngest students from, uh, from the Faculty of Health Science uh, coming in with a completely different education as well. And, and, and some of them, for some of them, you know, the, the whole the terminology regarding, um, what should you say, business development and, and stuff, it, it might seem a bit remote. And, and this is something where they can, they will learn about this during that, their stay and, and start at the station, even though it's not part of the curriculum where they are from. But it will still, I believe, add to their existing uh, knowledge and, and what they have learned through their education with something that is valuable. And, and, and this is, of course, also where we anchor our efforts that that the job market out there is it is ever changing as we see it right now. Now we came from times you know where it was very much about that you have you had these um, specific uh, competences where you were a specialist within this or that, and then you went out into the into the labor market. You you made your career and you traveled upwards through the career path, and in the end you retired. But what is happening now is that, that things move so fast and change so fast. So we go from expertise into something. And I know it's a bit, bit worn out uh, as word, but agility, the, abil- the ability to stay agile and, and remain um, attractive and valuable for the, the, the jo- in the job market for society, that's really a challenge. And somehow we believe also that having the entrepreneurial mindset that we seem to bring on to the students and hope that they will be introduced to we will definitely introduce them to that during their stay in startup station we also hope that that this will be part of their ability to maintain and stay valuable in a labor market that is ever-changing because through this entrepreneurial mindset you're used to thinking within value creation not just i can do this i can do that but flip it and say, what is the value I create for a customer, for a company, for society, and for myself, of course, because you, you also need to relate to that. But that's what we hope to obtain with bringing on the entrepreneurial mindset. And you will you'll basically be introduced to this and you'll leave with this mindset, no matter if you have the sustainable startup or if you might fail with that and end up as an entrepreneur in an already existing company. You hopefully have the entrepreneurial mindset that'll make you strong in value creation for the society. I think that's true. There, there's two things there. One is uh, you mentioned the non-business students, the humanities, the philosopher, the mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, even in the case that they go through startup station and they have a, a startup uh, and assuming it does not, it fails, it doesn't yeah. turn in. Just the experience the, of understanding the business world. Let's say they go back to the humanities and they become a teacher or a philosopher or whatever it is. They now have an understanding of the world that they would not have had if they had not gone through that experience. So I think it's enriching in, in that regard. I think the second piece that I wanted to talk about what you said about kind of the definition of entrepreneurship, right? Um, I think... This is just Eric's opinion. So this and 25 Krona will get you a cup of coffee, I think, right? <laughs> so um, the, 
I think entrepreneurship is effective problem solving. And I say effective because a lot of people can come up with a solution to a problem, but you have to be effective in actually affecting a solution to that problem. And yes. that co- that ties into where your agility is talking about. Um, let's say a few hundred years ago, the problems were the same problems year to year, usually. There were changes, there were things. But now, just think a year ago, a year ago we didn't have chat GPT, or I guess mm-hmm. we did, but maybe by like a, we were learning to spell chat GPT, right? We were learning, uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't know about it and what it was, right? And it kind of burst onto the scene. Uh, and then that completely changed a lot of things. Uh, quite frankly, it scared the humanities fields a lot. All of a sudden, everybody who's a writer is thinking, "Wait a second, what's what's going on?" <laughs> but it, it, you know, uh, uh, you know, am I going to have a job? All those sort of things. So when we think about entrepreneurship as effective problem solving, what happened with with that this change or this shift that's happening in in with AI is the problems are changing. There's different kinds of problems that are developing. And the skill set that's needed is that agile or dynamic problem solver who's able to now say, oh, okay, now, now uh, from November to December, now we have long language models that can, that can uh, write my term paper for me. Uh, oh, the world has changed. The, every solution is a, is a problem as well right? The solution to becomes the problem. So now, okay, what's the next problem? So the ones who have an entrepreneurial and effective problem solving mindset, will just look at the way the world is shifting and moving and try to adjust to that. Right. So I think it, um, perhaps, uh, you know, smarter, uh, technologists than I am, uh, will have a different opinion on this, but I think effective problem solving, uh, in the form of entrepreneurship is probably what I'll call a forever skill, right? Um, hopefully, yes. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it, you might be onto something very important there. Because you, as, as you mentioned, the definition of entrepreneurship, it, 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 there are several, but I think what we see as, as, as the important essence of it is, first of all, of course, the ability to, to see a problem somewhere that that is really relevant to solve then comes something in regards of ideation coming up with something that could that could help solving this problem and then something very very important execution the ability to act because as you mentioned a lot of us a lot of people might see a problem might think of a solution and that's where it ends nothing ever happens but these people who have the entrepreneurial mindset as something within themselves, they also have the ability to act upon it and come up with something and work, even though it's hard and even though you might fail, that, that is what differs them from the rest of them, that, that they actually act upon it. They do something. And, and when we see it, I, I listened into an interview with the guy who made this, you made the, the translation um, um, app for, for sign language and translation, vice versa. And, and I think this is his fourth or fifth uh, startup. Where, so, we, so he also tried, not, not all of them uh, became successes, but I think this just shows that, that if you have this, and, and I think you can train it, uh, but you also 
to be an entrepreneur, you, you need the ability to act. and you, need, you really need to work with that. I remember an old CEO of mine in the fashion business. Uh, he came in with his own kind of mantra, uh, which was highly commercial. Um, speed, ownership, and execution. That was the first thing he told us when, we, when he was introduced as new CEO. And I remember thinking, wow. Yeah, it sounds fancy, but is it more than just fancy words? But, but the part about execution is, is, is one of the most important parts of these three meaning-bearing words because this is where people often fail. They just end up having great ideas, drawing something at home or, and, and leaving it there. But if we want to change something and we also want to make society a better place for us to be in, you definitely need the ability to act and, and, and execute. I think a world famous uh, Danish uh, military person, he's a, a, a former member of the Danish uh, Special Forces, he said that he has a respect for scars, yeah. not diplomas. Yeah. And uh, talking a little bit about risks now, we have established that uh, a risk is failing in a startup. But we also define that this is not actually a risk because then you will get out right. and have another employment in another company, perhaps one of the big ones. And then, like you mentioned, Sharon, yeah. now can, are there any other risks uh, being a startup uh, right now? We have the environment, we have the ear of the investors, we have a small community worldwide small community in in Odense, Denmark, where we, we are not that many people, but we have a very famous university, a lot of bright-minded people coming out of that. Do you see any other ris risks? Uh... Well, we, we mentioned different uh, risk types for, for, for startups or for general people starting up new businesses all in all. And, uh, and of course, of course, there's something in terms of the of the entire idea and, and, and ideation where you have to you have to make sure that that your idea is validated up against what is also possible out there, and uh, and I think we we experienced that within our, our time in the in the drone industry and, and drone business that that we were able to do a lot of things, but um, but due to the fact that this was an, an early technology, we we had our struggles with uh, with legislation and compliance uh, up against legislation, so even though we we thought we had the best of ideas and we also did. We performed sales, so we had clients and stuff. Legislation simply moved too slow. And the everlasting question and, and ever-returning question uh, will be for some of us, were there a chance to identify this at an earlier stage? Uh, could we have seen this? Could we have foreseen that things wouldn't move at the pace that we hoped it would? Because we thought that this was so obvious and, and the technology that so obviously could benefit society with a lot of goods but it's simply just com the, the entire legislation and our ability to to be compliant and at the same time have a product that was fit for commercial selling it, it simply seemed to be kind of in conflict with each other and and, and and things moved too slow so so that that basically also became the end of the company so so we know from uh, from startups that um, that a lot of them they end up uh, not becoming companies because the the idea simply wasn't validated early enough. So so that is of course something we work with. But but at the same time now we mentioned that we are working with the entrepreneurial mindset. We also have an obligation 
to let the students try out things. Of course, we won't let them into a dead end where we can see that already from the beginning. But but uh, the entire the entire risk of not having validated your idea is definitely there. Then there's the risk of running out of of runway, so that you 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 miss out on on equity. And um, I think um, what we're discussing here, we, we mentioned compliance with legislation here. Um, we're also uh, there's also something in regards of intellectual property that you need to to kind of make sure that that. The idea you have also stays your idea, and that is, of course, important in terms of uh, commercial business of, in the future of the business. So, so these are also risks, and and I think it, at our startup station we are very much aware of that we cannot cover the entire journey in all aspects. So, we cannot do full time uh, legal counseling for our startup because we have business developers; they are not lawyers. So, what we do when we look into the risk of being you could say out of uh, out of track with the legal affairs, maybe also with compliance affairs. We tend to 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 partner up with them with people from the outside ecosystem, and that is a stronghold in in Odin, so that the ecosystem is as strong as it is. So we can we can I wouldn't say easily, but but there's a lot of openings for 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 having contact with with different partners on the outside that can that can help us out when it comes to more specific parts of the journal like legal counseling, like also counseling within compliance and stuff. The only thing is that we're still a university and we're still funded also uh, through uh, government funds. So so we cannot just gang up with one partner. So what we tend to do is we tend to have an overview of the ecosystem. So we know who's out there and, and we point when startups have some kind of issue, we point in the direction of we know there are these and these in, in, in the ecosystem. It's basically up to you whom to approach because we cannot recommend one or another. But but we have, we, of course, we have partners and we also have partners who are part of our events and stuff. And, and we're very happy that that, uh, that companies also take part of this. But but we do not have these competences within Startup Station. And that is why we point in the direction of companies, institutions in the ecosystem. It's interesting also that you say that uh, a lot of stuff fills up the minds of, of people in startups. Uh, I also think, Eric, that's why this podcast is called Safety Third, because yes. we, we know that uh, that safety is not the first thing on your mind when you have a startup and you have an idea and you want to, yeah. to get out in the market. No, there will probably be things uh, higher on the agenda in the, in the opening phase of uh, doing your own startup. And, uh, and it often is, of course, often related to making sure that you have a product. And there's also some kind of a fulfillment for, for, for students when they see that now the product kind of materializes in front of them and there's something that they can go out and present. And of course, that is that is something that is very important. And that is also why we have Maker Lab facilities and stuff, making them able to do some kind of prototyping at an early stage. Sure. Well, I think it's uh, it's it's very critical to allow that creative aspect to, to flourish. I'm going to talk a little bit about why safety third again. We haven't talked about that in a bit. So uh, let's say that uh, there's a student startup. And um, I like this example that you brought up of the sign language interpreting. Um, I think this, I think I'll even amend my definition of entrepreneurship um, because effective problem solving uh, alone doesn't capture it all. I think, I would say effective problem solving for good, right? Uh, 
and people can argue over what's good or not, but you can be an effective problem solver for evil right? Yeah, <laughs> as well, right. right? I think we have a lot of those, well, not as many as, you know, perhaps the movies would make you think we have, but, you know, effective problem solving for good. So let's, let's say this person has this idea. Um, the first thing they have to figure out, of course, is defining what the problem is uh, and then figuring out, do they have a solution to this problem, right? And I would imagine this person, you, you brought it up earlier, the person who came up with the, uh, the, the sign language interpretation, uh, I, you know, they have this say, okay, we have this problem of sign language interpretation. Here's a potential solution. I can, I can develop this, you know, and they may get naysayers who say, well, why don't the people who, uh, aren't hearing or, aren't, or perhaps you'd call, why wouldn't the deaf community just go have a surgery to fix that? I personally know people in the deaf community who purposefully do not want to be hearing people they they as you said they have their own language they they have their own and they want to use that right and and so the next question might be well why don't you just give them subtitles so they can read it right well well, there's a difference like um you know we've we've all watched a movie and uh i've watched uh danish shows and i have to watch them with english subtitles because i don't speak danish um, I think I have 10 words now. And when I say them, Dennis just looks at me and doesn't know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so it's not the same as when you hear it in your own language, right? When you hear it. In, and so for a person, I would assume for a person whose primary language is sign language, then it, there's something different emotionally that hits them. The surest way to say this is just crass. Uh, curse words don't feel like anything in another language, right? Mm, uh, right. But in your own language, they feel like something, right? Yeah. yeah. And also, I think that the, that deaf people are struggling with reading. Uh, a lot of them are struggling with uh, with reading also. Yeah. So this person, you know, he d- develops this creative solution, um, and uh, it either does it himself or gets with some technological people to create the technical. They've solved the first question: Can it be done technically? That's first, right? Can you yes. solve the problem? The second question then becomes: Can we figure out a way to make it financially sustainable. And this can either be a government pays for it or a nonprofit pays for it or a company pays for it, whatever it is, right? There's multiple forms. Um, And you try to make a business to see, okay, does the business do it? Or you try to get a grant from someone or or whatever it is, right? So you've solved that second problem, right? Um, And again, in that case, it would be, well, hold on. There's five other people who have this same idea out there. And they've already established and grabbed this much market share and they've already got this much name recognition, brand recognition, what have you, you know, or, or maybe there's nobody out there. And now you have to even convince people of what this thing is because in their minds it doesn't, doesn't make it, it, they can't conceptualize it, right? You have to communicate that idea. It goes back to that, the pitch training that you talked about. Mm-hmm. If you've truly come up with something novel, then you have to help people form in their minds what it is. Um, and that's a difficult thing, right? And then we would say the third thing you need to look at is can you do it safely? Yeah. And what that what I'll put underneath that is physical safety uh, to people, environmental safety to the environment, financial safety to world financial systems, or what you know. There's there's all sorts of it's basically risk the risk approach to it, right? We found a technological or a methodological solution. We found a way to make it financially sustainable. And third, we found a way to make it good, right? To make it, yeah. to, to make it, I don't know. So that's kind of the approach that, 
this these conversations that we have takes. Um, and I, I think uh, it, it, it really lines up with uh, a lot of things you've talked about at Startup Station and and the things you're trying to develop in, in the students who are there. And um, I think it's just a, a, a really great program. I hope, Dennis, I hope we can be involved in some sort of way. I don't know yeah, uh, too, if we can say too. so publicly. And, I think that's definitely possible. Well, let's uh, let's stay in touch and let's see because what we do is when we when we have cases, you know, where where we might see a need for that might be startups who are fast moving um, that they're looking into to the first markets. Of course, compliance with uh, with whatever legislation is on this next market is is crucial for you. Otherwise, just the importance of of you also being part of the ecosystem here um, will be extremely important because as I mentioned earlier we we let them go at a quite early stage and many of the startups uh, who are leaving SDU startup stations are early stage startups who are just beginning the journey they they might not even have the first real traction in the market yet so being in in, in close contact with also the the, the rest of the community um, will be important because that is where they'll end up and then develop from there so of course, uh, also for 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 a company like yours to to know where do these uh, where do these early stage startups go? Where do they end up? Because they'll be in in office uh, communities. They'll be they're also private companies doing um, accelerators if they see something that could be relevant for the technology they already have. So so the, these companies are also in the market with their own accelerators. Um, so need to, to to be on your toes to know exactly where where to look but uh, it's it's definitely um, a crucial and important part of uh, of your business investigation to make sure that you you know about compliance in the market you're entering because there is a huge difference amongst the markets what you need to be aware of we experienced that uh, within the drone industry as well that some markets were a bit well they 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 were a bit easy compared to other markets uh, but um, but if you don't know what you're up against you'll probably fail and you'll probably realize it when it's too late sure sure i think you're, you're absolutely right and, and i'll just say that um i think uh the students in early stage startups need the time to need that they need time to not worry about compliance and safety at the beginning they, yes. they need to focus on getting stuff sorted out. If you show up the first day and say, here's all the EU legislation you have to comply no. with, most of them will just turn around and go away, right? No, I don't think we but, would ever have seen a drone flying if it, people were thinking right. about no, safety no. first. <laughs> that could be the end of them. Yeah, but there comes a point when the timing is right. And maybe that's yeah. the other aspect of entrepreneurship. Yes. Uh, effective problem solving, solving in time for good. Because uh, I... I I run into students frequently who say, oh, I want to do a startup. I want to do a startup. And so one of the things I try to do, a a mentor of mine said, you can either be an an obstacle or a facilitator, right? You can either, you can either stop people or you can help them. So, so I try as much as I can to be a facilitator. I can't, I'm only one person, so I can't do that for everyone, but um, they'll come and say, I want to do a startup. I say, okay, let's do a startup. And it's interesting how many people say, oh, well, uh, for whatever reason, they, yeah. they like the idea of doing a startup, but they don't actually want to go do it. And that's fine too. But now they've learned that about themselves, right? 
And yeah. I've, I feel like I've done them a service. But then some of them want to go pretty far down that road. And so that's good. So then the next thing that, uh, that I hear from them is, oh, I don't have the resources. I don't have the money or I don't have this skill or I don't have that skill or whatever it is, you know. So we say, okay, well, let's figure out how to get the resources. Let's figure out how to sort them. So whether that's other students or whether that's outside experts, whether you need money or whatever it is, right? That sounds like a lot of what Startup Station is doing, right? Yeah. Helping, it's, helping not, to, it's not art. It's just hard work. I yeah. think that's on one of our stickers. Yeah. Um, and, and then we're just gifted that we have we have some in the community who's also open for for spending or, or sending in capital at an early stage for these startups. We have you know, we have the, the opportunity where they can apply for uh, you can probably turn it into US dollars, but for in the early stage for, for twenty thousand twenty five thousand Danish corner, um, where they can apply with their idea and we have a foundation locally, a fund here who who, who will look into it uh, in cooperation with our business developers, and we're able to to hand in twenty five thousand as very very early um, um, capital, and it's uh, it's it's free. It comes without any kind of you know equity demand or whatever. Um, and this is kind of a this is the early stage funding traction for these very early stage startups, and it it often affects them in some way. They say, "Whoa, there is something. We are onto something," and and that. That gives them guts to 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 stay on the path and continue the journey, and, and that is what we're about. So you're completely right. It's about facilitating. It's not about putting in obstacles because that's that's a very easy task to to do. But the the interesting thing is to facilitate them and see what comes from it and see the mindset, this entrepreneurial mindset, grow with them um, because it can take them in so many directions. And it is no matter where they end, it is very valuable. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. I think the, the last thing that I'll say is, you know, they get an idea, they marshal the resources, they bring all those together. And then the last element is timing. Yeah. If you're too early to the market, you'll be a failure. If you're too late to the market, you'll be at best and also ran, right? You know, a, 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 the second, right? So the getting the market timing is key. And that's, uh, I will say, that is hard work, but it's also an art as well because there's lots of things yeah. that happen that you're not yeah. aware of and, and you don't know. Uh, I know when I first tried to get traction in the market that we primarily work in, which is functional safety, back in 2013, 2014, uh, the, the, the market wasn't ready for it yet, right? Um, but then perhaps around 2019, 2020, uh, 2021, that's when the market really demanded it. And that's when that's when our growth mostly happened, or has has started. Uh, it's still continuing. So, so getting that timing right, and the aspect of it from a regulatory and compliance perspective is, um, uh, you have to get the compliance timing right as well. Because if you're an advanced technology, there's no legislation and you don't fit into anything, and so now you have to make something right. And if you're too late, then someone else is already kind of got what we call regulatory capture and kind of steered the legislation to their particular technological solution. So it, there, there's a lot of things that go into it. And um, so I think getting, managing the risk along the way, you first have to know about the risk to manage it, right? And so that that's, that's the key. So I've rambled a bit now about lots of different things. 
and thank you, Soren, <laughs> for being uh, patient with me. As I oh, well, that's okay. I think you're on to something important there because sometimes you hear even very successful um, entrepreneurs who who, may, who sold or sold their companies and, and also very successful there, and they sometimes they talk about luck, and you would say. Mm. But when I hear them talk about there was also some luck involved here, it's often related to the timing aspect because you're not really able to control it all the way, aren't you? So, so maybe luck timing is sometimes the the extra add-on that just needs to be right, but it is a bit hard to control all the way. But it definitely needs to be there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We have we have some old phrases though that talk about luck and action right don't we fortune favors the bold or something like that right you know we have we have of course that got hijacked by bitcoin or by some of these <laughs> things so i don't know if it's probably another but the, but the point you know i had another mentor who used to say the best way to predict the future is to make it right and That's definitely uh, right i think it's true you know it, now making the future is hard right and uh it takes a bit of hubris to even think that you can but yes. you know uh, I think that's kind of the perspective that I tend to lean to. Uh, and sometimes uh, the present uh, corrects me about what I think I'm going to make the future into. And that's okay as well. But it's that uh, dynamic responsiveness to it. So, um, wow. Okay. Well, um, I think one thing we should do, Soren, about making the future is uh, plan to have another discussion like this on, uh, on the podcast. I think we could... We, we can make those plans, I hope. Yes, definitely. Good, good. And maybe in the future we could even um, invite some of the the student startups to come and talk with us or, yeah. or have a little discussion about what it's like for them to be in that program. Yes, that could be interesting and also doable. Good, good. That's what my wife said when I asked her out on our first date. She said, <laughs> <laughs> that could be interesting and also doable. <laughs> Well, I think we've got great ambassadors uh, amongst our student startups because they we're happy to say they appreciate also the efforts and and whatever is there for them and then yeah so so I think we could we could manage that as well. Very good, very good. Okay, well, we've been going for quite a long time. I, I think you might be pushing our longest episode now, so it tells how I see the sun's <laughs> going down there in Odense. Uh, and it's just coming up here in Dallas. So I guess it turns out the earth's not flat after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to close by, uh, I have a question I ask everybody. Uh, and I gave you a heads up about it at the beginning. And usually people completely forget about it until the end. So did you remember the question or have you? The question regarding the most yeah. dangerous thing. That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So I ask people, what's the most dangerous thing? you'll admit to having had done? (laughs) Uh, Well, what I'll admit to is that um, I ride a motorbike and I've done that for as long as I could since I was 18, 19 years old, I think. So I always had this passion for for bikes. And I remember talking to a a veteran some years ago. Uh, I was in the community and and he was giving some kind of keynote and he, uh, he served uh, in Afghanistan, I think. And I asked him if he, he, he ever thought about how, how much did he really relate to the risk and what he was doing there. And he said, well, do you, don't you ever do something that is risky? I said, well, 
I drive a bike, that's probably it. And say, well, the risk that you are putting yourself up against there is some, I don't know, the mathematical way he, he calculated this is at least what I'm facing when I'm out there. Um, I, I didn't, I never thought of that in, in that way because when you're, I know that it's a dangerous thing to do when you're on the bike, you feel, you know, that you're out there without anything surrounding you. And it is, it is, it is a high risk, but um, I just always loved it. And I, I'm not able, I'm not willing to give up on that. Um, basically no matter the risk. So, so I, I, I've done that for many years and I still do occasionally much to, uh, much too seldom that I would like to do it more than I do, but um, but I still do it. I think that is probably sure. the, the largest risk I'm putting myself up against. Well, people also tend when they when they buy their first bike, it's usually a fast one, and once you grow a little bit more seasoned, like uh, you are, sorry, sorry for saying yeah. that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you you tend to buy a more relaxable thing, uh, slow bike. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm I'm driving an old BMW, and I know some of my friends who also drive motorbikes. They said, "Well, are you really that old that you need a BMW, son?" <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's just how it is. Um, but you know, yeah. passion sometimes comes with the risk. I'm not skydiving or something like that, but um, I just like the feeling of being out there, feeling the air, and and experiencing nature in this way. It's it is still something that I really that I really love sure sure and I also well I'll say it this way I have a motorcycle license I I don't well I guess I do have my son has a motorcycle and my other son has a dirt bike so I guess technically I do have them but I don't ride them very much but I think the whole point is what you just said that you are exposing yourself to a little bit of risk a little bit of not not the adrenaline junkie type thing but just the there's something about you can see nature if you drive around with the windows down in your car and you can feel the wind and smell that but there's something a little bit different because you're up on the motorcycle and you're more exposed to the world than you are it's something different and not everyone understands it some people think it's a different risk but i want to go to this so this veteran that you were talking about this is a danish military mm-hmm. person yeah. from yeah. afghanistan i don't think a lot of people knew, know that uh the danes were involved in afghanistan i think there's quite Somewhere. a bit quite, yeah yeah um so i th- i think the perspective that I would assume that he has is probably similar to a lot of entrepreneurs, which is Could saying, be. I'm I'm going to go out and do this thing that everyone else thinks is risky, but I don't think it's risky because I think that I have managed the risks, right? You know, as as he as he goes into a particular operation or something like that, he's made a plan, he's brought along tools, he's got teammates with him, he's got a fallback plan. He's got all these other things. So it would be a very foolish soldier indeed who goes in knowingly to a it walking straight into something that's foolish, right? Mm-hmm. Every one of them that I know, I have a, I'm a veteran myself. There's extensive planning and preparation training. You, 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 you go into a battle that you think that you can win, uh, or at the worst case, you have no choice but to fight, right? You know, those are two things. And I think uh, entrepreneurs have a similar thing. Most of the entrepreneurs that I 
interface with, um, they don't really see it as risky at all because they see that they've managed the risk. They've got things that they've uh, made preparations and and developed a team to help them do something. And perhaps there are some that are just wild and crazy and would go do things. But most of them that I know, they, they don't see it as a risky thing. They see it as a uh, as a problem. Uh, 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 the outcome is positive, pro- most likely positive, and that's why they do it. So I don't know. We see that the strongest teams, or some of the strongest teams we see, they, they include you know students from, from different faculties. So they each bring their special abilities into the team. And that is also what we know from investors. And, and I think that's this general knowledge that investors very often tend to put a high focus on the team, uh, sometimes even higher than on the product itself, because they know that if they have the, the right team, um, they'll be able to succeed with almost everything or anything if, they just, if they're just a gathering of the right people. So team is, uh, team is everything. Um, but here it was just a matter of me being my attention being drawn to that the risk in what I was doing was probably higher than I that I calculated myself, and I think it just made me it made me think. But I, I must also admit that I, I maintained the interest and I, I haven't given up on it yet because you know there is just a, in this case a relation between passion and and risk, and uh, when you do the equation, it still ends up with the result where. I drive the bike even though I know it's a risk and I try to drive it carefully because I take, of course, the risk into calculation and I'd like to drive a motorbike also when I'm 70, 80 years old. Uh, and so I'm basically just as careful as I can be and acknowledging that there is a risk in what I'm doing. Okay. Well, next time I'm in Denmark, we'll, we'll have to get some bikes together and we'll go for a ride. That could we'll, be nice. Uh, yeah. You can show me around, uh, around Denmark. That's a promise. On two wheels. All right. <laughs> That's a promise, Eric. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Soren, for uh, joining us today. Uh, great discussion. Dennis, as well, thank you for your uh, your co-hosting abilities. And I think pretty soon you'll be promoted to host in, in full. Yeah. Just, um... let's, let's see about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Eric.